Okay, um, we're getting ready right now. This is the welcome. This is the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host, Janine Moloff. And tonight, this New Year's Eve, I'm going to discuss water privatizers, the real death panels. We've had a real hell of a year this year in 2020. Between the typical Trump lunacy and injustice, we were hit with COVID. Nothing has been the same ever since. And though I would like to be out there celebrating, the fact is most of us, all of us can't be really. And the show is about environmental justice. And sometimes you need to start a new year by reflection and being honest, as opposed to using it as an excuse to get stinking drunk. You know, in my own Jewish tradition, our new year, Rosh Hashanah, is a time for serious contemplation and a time to consider how we would change things in our lives. And it's a shame that the traditional Western year, Western New Year's doesn't reflect that same sentiment. So tonight, and again, um, I'm still not in great voice, so kind of bear with me. <coughs> tonight I'm going to discuss the water privatizers, the real death panels. I'm going to say water, I'm going to go on, on the record saying water is a human right. In fact, it's not just a human right, it's a right for all creatures. And it is not a commodity to steal for the rich, nor should it ever be. So here's the question of the new year. As we enter 2021, should water be commodified and sold by private industry, or is it a basic human right? Now, I know what side of the argument I fall on, and I have, as usual, way too much documentation to be able to deal with in an hour's time, but I'm going to try my best. So this New Year's Eve, I'm going to be addressing the growing business of water privatization and how corporate stock investment excuse me, and how corporate stock investors have turned water into a commodity only available if you have enough money. I will be featuring Nestle as one of the major environmental villains in this piece. Prepare yourself to be outraged. The corporate world, a.k.a. otherwise known as corporations receiving legal personhood, thanks to conservative jur- jurists, have once again proven to be amoral sociopaths. Those in the public who remain silent are only enabling this growing injustice. So Charles Pierce, writing for Esquire December tw- just this past December 7th, ironically, Pearl Harbor Day, he wrote a piece titled, The Most Essential Necessity for Human Life is Just Another Commodity Now. And the subtitle is, What is Chilling is How Easily Water Was Tucked into Market Speak as Though It Were Subprime Mortgages. And it's true. And Pierce really did blow the whistle. He quoted Bloomberg, and he talked about how farmers, hedge funds, and municipalities sometimes look to hedge against or bet on potential water scarcity starting the week of December 7, 2020. And why? Because a, a group called CMA, CME Group, Inc. launched contracts that were linked to the 1.1 billion, with a B, 
California spot water market. Now, that according to CME, which is Chicago-based, these futures that they will sell will help water users, quote, manage risk and better align supply and demand, end quote. My question is, to benefit who? We know who, in reality, the 1%, while starving everyone else regarding human rights. So the, these contracts for CME are a first of their kind here in the U.S. They were announced in September, right along the time that the West Coast was being hit with massive heat and wildfires. Now, originally, they were meant to serve allegedly as a hedge for California's biggest water consumers against what Pierce calls skyrocketing prices. They were also meant to serve as a hedge for California's biggest water consumers and a scarcity and as a scarcity gauge for investors worldwide. That scarcity gauge thing that worries me. Let's face it, the only reason, in my opinion, to enact a scarcity gauge is to profiteer off of human misery that is not shared. The 1%, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, um, and so on and so forth, should not be allowed to buy their way out of this disaster. And, you know, Pierce goes into the fact that California, according to him, does steal water from the rest of, from neighboring western states so that California can be habitable. But it, once again, it's the idea that this necessity for human life and animal life can't live without water basically was, as he said, tucked in the market speak so easily as the water were basically as trivial as pork bellies or subprime mortgages. And again, no legal protection for the public. Now we have, according Bloomberg quoted, RBC Capital Markets Managing Director and Analyst Deanne Dre. Now, Deanne Dre works for RBC. RBC Capital Markets is a, we should note, is a branch of the Royal Bank of Canada. Now, this becomes relevant as we realize that colonialism remains strong and healthy, though maybe it's morphed into a Brooks Brothers suit situated in a tastefully decorated corporate office as opposed to the end of a rifle of a British fusilier in India. But it's still colonialism. As Americans living in a nation with vast natural resources, we should realize that the non-rich, in other words, the majority of us slobs, are targets of colonial oppression as well as the perpetrators of colonial crime. The Royal Bank of Canada's identity reflects the power still maintained by the British Empire. Keep in mind, Canada is part of the British Empire, part of the United Kingdom. Furthermore, RBC began as Dominion Securities Corporation Limited in 1900 at the height of British colonialism. And it just changed names to fit a politically correct awareness. But this group remains connected to the tax haven, otherwise known as the Cayman Islands, which, surprise, surprise, are a British protectorate. Now, the role of the Caymans is a haven for tax evaders. We'll discuss that another date. But it was nearly important that you realize that the group entangled 
in water privatization and commodification and really pushing for it is also connected to the British Empire through the Canadians. Now, RBC Capital Markets Managing Director and Analyst DeAndre was quoted as saying, quote, climate change, drought, population growth, and pollution are likely to make water scarcity issues and pricing a hot topic for, time, for years to come. We are definitely going to watch how this new water futures contract develops, end quote. Excuse me. Now, Gray mentioned four apocalyptic issues that she mentioned with the bored indifference of somebody noticing that their their manicure is ruined. What she mentioned so calmly and casually are climate change, droughts, population growth, and pollution. And she lists them so bloodlessly. Humans can do something about all of them. Trey doesn't care, doesn't care about that. Now, there have another um, person. Oh, Lord. We're talking about the financial blow. They're talking about commodifying, in other words, buying futures on water supply like you would buy stock and jacking the price up as a result of that type of market speculation. Water is as necessary to maintaining life on this planet as oxygen. They can't, they can't sell oxygen yet, but they're going to do this. And the 1% doesn't care. So, you know, Bloomberg reported the same day that water is joining gold, oil, and other commodities traded on Wall Street. Even as there are areas in the world that are, have, that are, that are experiencing horrible water shortages. And CME Group launches the contracts. Again, they're Chicago-based. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll be so glad when the warm weather's here again and I don't have to deal with this, this asthma. Sorry, folks. So there are 2 billion people in the world right now that live in countries that are plagued by water scarcity or water problems. And we also know that almost two-thirds of the world could face water shortages in just four years. And this was also mentioned by the UN. I'll get to that a little later. Now they quoted the global head of equity index and alternative investment products at CME. His name is Tim McCourt. And he said in an interview, quote, the idea of managing risk associated to water is certainly increased in importance. Unquote. Because CME cares so much about human suffering, right? No, they don't. The futures will be treated like any other stock investment, speculative, um, requiring the physical delivery of water. They're just going, that, that type of speculation is going to result in jacking the price way up. And this is a necessity. There is no excuse for this. Um, So, uh, excuse me, but once again, we don't count. Now, The Guardian wrote about this in 2019, and that's where we, specif- we uh, 
focus on Nestle. It turns out Nestle doesn't just make halfway decent milk chocolate. They're one of the largest um, uh, wholesalers, I mean, the largest retailer, that is, of bottled water. Now, I'm going to give away my age a little bit. When I was a kid, the idea that you would pay a couple bucks for a bottle of water, we would have been laughing hysterically because, again, a lot of it is just tap water that's been treated. But they sold this. So, according to the Guardian, there was a proposal for Nestle to build a water bottling plant in Cascade Locks, Oregon. And that was a very heated battle in 2016. This was written by Tom Perkins. Um, Perkins talks about how Nestle siphoned 45 million gallons of, of spring water from a creek and bottled it under the Arrowhead water label. Now, that's federal land. And for this spring water, this valuable spring water on federal land, which we pay for through our taxes, Nestle, Swiss bottled water giant, paid the U.S. Forest Service um, practically nothing for it. It, it. it really was ridiculous. Nestle, um, in 2018, their water sales exceeded $7.8 billion. Um, the Forest Service there said that something called Strawberry Creek was left impaired. Um, that's, quote, the current water extraction is drying up surface water resources. So the state of Oregon is investigating it at that time whether Nestle was drawing water from this place called Strawberry Creek illegally. And in 2017, it, Nestle was told to, quote, immediately cease any unauthorized diversions, end quote. In other words, what Nestle does is they tap into the water and drain it off. But the Forest Service, a year later, under Trump, approved a five-year permit which would allow Nestle to continue to use federal land to extract water. And so Strawberry Creek versus Nestle became a symbol of corporate water theft aided and abetted by our corporate government, a very abusive corporate person writ large. And we're talking about our water supply. Too many Americans do not understand where their water comes from. They think it comes from the river. Well, sometimes it does. But quite a bit of our water, especially here in the Midwest, some of it comes from the river, from the Missouri River, not the Mississippi. But quite a bit of it comes from a very large aquifer. And an aquifer is an underground water source. When the aquifers go, we're dead. There isn't much left what the farmers count on. So there were people that were opposed to what Nestle was doing. Uh, a woman named Amanda Fry, who's an author and nutritionist, um, used Nestle as a corporate villain, motivated by greed. She was quoted saying, these are people who just want to make money, but they've already dried up the upper Strawberry Creek and they've done a lot of damage. They're a foreign corporation taking our natural resources, which makes it even worse. Other critics have characterized Nestle as predatory in terms of, you know, taking water. So they've been, Nestle's been accused of targeting struggling communities. And they, they exaggerate on any job promises. And that was as documented by Food and Water Watch. Um, they donate to local Boy Scouts. Keep in mind, when they give this, these donations, it, it's a spit in the bucket. And I'm not being ironic compared to what they're actually taking. 
Nestle lobbies quite a bit. Nestle has also had a very cozy relationship with the Trump administration. Michael O'Heaney, who's the director of the Story of Stuff Project, which is an environmental group out of Berkeley, is quoted as saying, speaks out against the tactic that is that Nestle uses. <coughs> so, <coughs> O'Heaney says that these tactics are, quote, partly what's behind the Forest Service, the Strawberry Creek decision to allow Nestle to pull water from federal land. O'Heaney goes on saying, Quote, you have Nestle spouting this idea of shared benefits, and we're in it for the community. But when you see the way they operate on the ground, they're very skilled at cozying up with legislators, state officials, and getting their way. <coughs> and Ohini, I, I tend to agree with him. So when you look at Nestle's enormous conglomerate, the Nestle Water specifically owns 51 brands of bottled water. Keep going. We don't have 51 different types of water, but 51 brands, including Ice Mountain, Poland Spring, and something called Zephyr Hills. Um, and once again, Ohini is quoted as saying, it presents itself as a responsible steward of America's water and an eco-friendly, healthy hydration company aiming to save the world's fresh water supply, end quote. I'm sorry. I can't help but choke on the irony of that one. They are paying next to nothing for our water here in the U.S. I mean, not even pennies. You know, in Michigan, I believe Nestle pays a grand total of $200 a year, and they pump out millions and millions of gallons that they sell to other people. All the while, Flint is still living with dangerous, undrinkable water. So when they talk about they're eco-friendly and they want to save the world's fresh water supply, I'm sorry. I mean, <coughs> that is just, I've heard about stupid telling, they enough to tell lies, but that's an incredibly stupid lie, in my opinion. Nestle's called itself a job creator, and Nestle's claimed that it bottles, oh, just a minuscule amount of our water. Nestle resource manager that was quoted um, about the, uh, the right to Strawberry Creek when it purchased when Nestle purchased Arrowhead is named Larry Lawrence, and Larry Lawrence claims that the science backs claims that Nestle draws water quote sustainably end quote. Lawrence was also quoted saying quote the argument that there should be some flowing stream bed stream bed in Upper Strawberry Creek. We don't necessarily believe that, and that's what we're testing for. I would ask Mr. Lawrence, what science? I would demand that the Nestle resource manager, Larry Lawrence, cite his sources and produce them so that we can examine them and see if there's any veracity to those claims. So now we come back to really the arch villain, former Nestle chief executive and chairman, Peter Brayback. You know, he's the guy that claimed that water wasn't necessarily a human right. He called water, quote, a grocery product and that it should have a market value, end quote, back in 2005. Now, Brayback came back and he argued that, well, 25 liters a day daily is a human right, but 
if you use it to fill a pool or wash a car, then it shouldn't be free. Keep in mind, water like oxygen belongs to all of us. It is part of the public commons. And we have these European colonialists coming, and they're not exactly stealing our water because they do pay for it. $200 a year in Michigan for nearly billions of gallons. So maybe it's not technically illegal, but it sure as hell is illegitimate and unethical. And then again, where are the local, state, and federal governments when they're protecting our national resources? This isn't just about water. This talk is about the fact that we have a public commons, and these resources belong to all of us and generations afterwards, and that no group, financial or otherwise, has a right to jack up the price by speculation so that we're basically mortgaging our souls in order to get a cup of water. Privatization is not the answer. In fact, privatization is just another term justifying hoarding by the 1%, in my opinion. Now, there's another person here arguing, too, and this is Nisha Swinton, who is a senior organizer at the Food and Water Watch Environmental Group. And Clinton disagrees with Brayback and says that the public, not a company, quote, has to appease, uh, I'm sorry, Swisher says that the public, not a company that has to appease their stockholders and make money on privatizing water, should be responsible for how water is managed, in other words. Quote, this is not an issue for a multinational corporation of control over. This is an issue for the public to hang on to and protect as their own. So how do we get to this point? And I don't know if we're going to get through everything tonight, seriously. Well, according to this Guardian article, this section is called quid pro quo arrangement. So the genesis of our corporate water crisis began in 1976 when Perrier, who is now owned by Nestle, opened a New York office. In 2016, bottled water sales had gone far beyond soda in the U.S., and last year, Nestle's Waters North American sales were worth $4.5 billion, as reported by Nestle themselves, their own website. But across the country, from the West Coast to the East Coast, both everyday residents like you and me, as well as environmentalists that are more knowledgeable, are worried about Nestle's impact. So, for instance, in Freiburg, Maine, there was a resident named Nikki Sakara, and she said that the former Timbertown's fire department used to offer a spigot, you know, in other words, a little, you know, a little pump where residents could draw free water. I guess this is rather, you know, rural if their well ran dry or some other problem popped up. But then the fire department replaced the spigot with three bottles of Nestle Poland spring water. Now, it's a small change, but Sakara said that this symbolism is strong. It, quote, it speaks. There's no doubt about it. And quite a few Freiburg residents have been trying to kick Nestle out since the early 2000s. There was a legal challenge. Um, and it went all the way to the Maine Supreme Court. 
And according to the Bangor Daily News in 2016, the main Supreme Court justices upheld a deal which allowed Nestle to pull between 75 million and 220 million gallons annually from a Freiburg well for 45 years. 45 years. That water belongs to the residents of Freiburg, Maine. It does not belong to a corporation based in Switzerland. So there's more here. According to Food and Water Watch, Nestle Orthrith Lobbyist gave some $634,000 to Maine politicians between 2001 and 2012. So that's the problem. Politicians in Maine, for instance, are virtually owned by Nestle, and they were bought cheap. So, and it was revealed, the Maine Public Utilities Commission that dealt with the Freiburg water deal in 2013, it was revealed by the Press Herald, the three commissioners that were on the case included a former Nestle lobbyist, an attorney, and a consultant. Former Governor Paul LePage um, appointed, according to Press Herald, appointed a Nestle manager to the state's Environmental Protection Board. And former Nestle lobbyist Patricia Ajo, according to Maine Campaign Finance, um, she previously ran the State Department of Environmental Protection. So they're in bed together. In Michigan, here we go again. We all know about the water disaster in Flint. The company is pumping, apparently, according to this, let's see, the source is The Guardian. Um, company was pumping 1,100 gallons per minute. Now, Nestle did buy some new ambulances and fireworks for some poor communities in Michigan. And the public schools of Evart, Michigan, got a new baseball diamond. But then we have the situation in Flint. Again, according to The Guardian, we all know the story in Flint. The residents paid much higher rates for undrinkable water, water that was tainted, poisoned. And they paid more for it than Nestle did for clean water. Detroit, according to the Bridge Michigan.com, um, they conducted mass water shutoffs on their poorest residents when they got behind on bills. Nestle did donate bottled water to Flint. It's true. Of course, then we found out that local officials in Oregon and Pennsylvania, according to the Union Bulletin, officials in Oregon and Pennsylvania um, worked in secret there were revelations that they worked in secret with Nestle to push through water deals that the public didn't want. Now, Nestle scrapped some of the Pennsylvania plans at that point. But Nestle also funneled $105,000 to a local political action committee ahead of the election. Now, at the national level, Ann Veneman, who is a former agriculture secretary, serves on Nestle's board. And according to documents obtained by Story of Stuff through a Freedom the FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, it also shows that the Forest Service chief 
that was clo- that was closely watching Strawberry Creek. Um, I'm sorry. The Forest Service chief is monitoring Strawberry Creek. In 2017, the Food and Drug Administration decided Nestle was was apparently bottling groundwater in part, not spring water, in Strawberry Creek. And they're not supposed to do that. They're only allowed to take spring water. Now, the FDA then reversed its position several months later after a former FDA regulator representing Nestle went to the company according to the Desert Sun. Nestle then fought a lawsuit, according to Reuters, alleging that it is selling what is technically groundwater, which is different than spring water. The Forest Service Strawberry Creek permit decision um, referenced a 2017 Trump executive order that spoke to this. And that Trump executive order required federal agencies to, quote, ensure that water users' private property rights are not encumbered when they attempt to secure a permit to operate on public lands. Excuse me, folks. Not COVID, asthma. Out of control asthma. So then we've got going back to California. Former San Bernardino National Forest Supervisor, a man named Gene Zimmerman, <coughs> he left the agency in 06. He now works, he left to work as a contractor for guess who? Nestle. Zimmerman admits in this article the company funded government projects in a 2015 video promoting Nestle. Um, it all looks pretty seedy. Now we're getting to the point about draining aquifers. Again, that's underground water. It's incredibly important. It's happening all over, but in Freiburg, the company's activities, quote, dried out wells and depleted the aquifer. Now, most Americans, end quote, most Americans don't understand that much of our water comes from underground aquifers. And the aquifer is draining because it's competing with municipalities, agribusiness, and bottled water companies like Nestle. And that's according to Robert Knight, director of the Florida Springs Institute. And he quoted as saying, quote, when those springs are dying a death from a thousand cuts, one more cut isn't going to kill them, but it's not advisable to take more when they're showing all sorts of stress, all sorts of signs of stress. In 2003, according to Michigan Live, a Michigan court um, decided that Nestle was solely responsible for draining the Dead River watershed from which it apparently pulled 400 gallons per minute or 210 million gallons in a year. There was a nine-year legal battle. It ended in 2009. Nestle agreed to reduce by quite a bit the amount of water it takes and they'd monitor the levels in real time. Okay, but that's that's not an adequate remedy. Nestle was just let off the hook. They basically told the court, okay, we won't do it as much, and we'll watch what we're doing. But they shouldn't be allowed to drain the aquifers at all, not for something as silly as bottled water when 
you could just get it out of the tap and it'd be much cheaper. And there are communities going without safe water. And then, let's see now. There was an independent scientist, Nestle hired, in that 2003 Michigan trial. And this scientist was caught fabricating data. And the judge did issue what was considered a scathing opinion and called that, uh, that Nestle hire a company man. That's nice. But why wasn't that scientist criminally charged with the fact that they falsified data and presented it to court, which is a form of perjury? So, you know, again, there's more going on. There's also the issue that water laws governing the state um, are governed by what's called a public trust doctrine. And it's, it is just like what it sounds. This is a public resource. So why are groups like Royal um, RBC being allowed to basically commodify water? Doesn't make sense. <clears throat> but this is what you get when you have a corrupt government with no accountability and no transparency. <clears throat> Sorry, folks. All right. So we're going to move ahead here. <clears throat> you know, Nestle courted Michigan. They said they'd be a good environmental steward. Okay. And I'm quoting now from Michigan Live. Uh, an article by Garrett Ellison titled Nestle in Michigan, Unpacking the Water Battle Backstory. So this was written in 2019. So basically, Nestle asked the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality in 2019 for a permit to increase groundwater pumping. And this was on a well that supplies the Ice Mountain Brands factory in Stanwood. So, um, and this sounds familiar, right? You go back to the 2009 lawsuit. Again, when they're taking groundwater, groundwater doesn't replenish that quickly. Once it's gone, you take a long time to build back up again. Those aquifers have been built up over hundreds of years. And they can't take that kind of abuse. So, according to Michigan, Nestle said, we'll be a good environmental steward. We'll create jobs. And so the governor, John Engler, helped award a $9.5 million tax break. That's nice. But... We have opposition. The Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation filed a lawsuit, and they were worried about, again, the impact. Um, Nestle pumps about 400 gallons per minute, and again, this was the 2003 case until Macosta County Judge Lawrence Root, and this was after a 19-day trial. Um, that the judge called, quote, undoubtedly the most extensive and intensive in the history of the 49th Judicial Circuit. Judge Root decided that Nestle's wells 
would harm what was called the dead stream in local lakes. Nestle appealed. The case went all the way up to the Michigan Court of Appeals and then the Michigan Supreme Court. <coughs> there was a settlement. Um, it limited Nestle pumping to an average of 218 gallons per minute. There were some restrictions on spring and summer withdrawals. They should have just been told no. Again, it is a Swiss company. Why can't they pump water from their own land? I hate to sound that way, but anyway. So you got a legal loophole here. Isn't there a law that prohibits sending Great Lakes water outside the Great Lakes Basin? Yeah, there is. But Nestle can sell water outside the basin because this law, which is called the Great Law, the Great Lakes Compact, has a loophole that is specific to water bottling. Isn't that convenient? The loophole lets soda makers and breweries um, export their products. And Nestle claims Ice Mountain is sold primarily inside the basin. Um, but nothing besides cost of shipping prohibits the company from distributing the water as far away as it pleases. So let's go down a little bit. This gets very deep. The Guardian again, how Nestle steals water from indigenous people. And this is in Canada. You know, the, everybody thinks Canada is so liberal and so wonderful. This is 90 minutes from Toronto. People from the First Nations are trying to improve their water situation, and they're fighting Nestle. So there you have this one woman, Miss um, Thomas, and she lives uh, in the Indigenous Reserve in Ontario. Her child had a suspicious rash. A lot of kids, they're coming down with suspicious illnesses, and it's because they don't have access to running water. These First Nations in 2020 don't have access to toilets, showers, and baths. For washing and using a toilet, they use a bucket. May as well think of it as a third world, but it's Canada. And ironically, Canada ranks as one of the UN's top places in the world to live. But the Native, the First Nations, are they're being abused. Um, and this Native community I'm talking about is right near prosperous southern Ontario, 90 minutes from Toronto, which is Canada's richest city. So while the while the First Nation people of First Nations are going without running water, Nestle extracts millions of liters of water daily from their land, from Six Nations Treaty land. And so these people have to drive eight kilometers to a public tap to fill up. But that water is not drinkable. Once a week, they have to drive 10 kilometers to the nearest town, which is Caledonia, to buy bottled water to drink. And that's how they live. 91% of the homes in that community aren't connected to a water treatment plant, according to Michael Montour, Director of Public Works for Six Nations. And Six Nations are not only the First Nations community in Canada, but they're, several of them have a water crisis. There are 50 indigenous communities that have long-term boil water advisories. 
which means that they don't have safe water. They don't have workable plumbing. And one of them asked Don, her name's Don Martin Hill, why do white people live with water and we don't? Um, a Six Nations local professor of indigenous studies, that's Don Martin Hill again, studying at McMaster University, quoted as saying, they don't have to live like we live. There's a lot of environmental racism. Yes, indeed. Canada doesn't have much population, but it has 60% of the world's lakes and one-fifth of the world's fresh water. So how could indigenous people be without clean water? The privatizers. Canada has become a very attractive destination for Aquafina and Destani, as well as Nestle. And the Six Nations did have a treaty. That's the thing. More than one. Nestle pumps spring water, even though they really don't have the right to do so. There's the 1701 Non-Fond Treaty, and the 1784 Haldeman Tract. And this is according to Lonnie Bomberry, Six Nations Land and Resources Director. Now, the Six Nations are tri- the Mohawk, Cayuga, Onondaga, Oneida, Oneida Seneca, and Tuscarora tribes. And they sided with the British during the, Re- the American Revolution. And as a reward, they were given an area of some almost 4,000 square kilometer around the Grand River. Now, later, British Ontario broke the treaty, and they took that almost 4,000 square kilometers and reduced it to 194 square kilometers. Environmental racism once again. So, again, Nestle's and other companies are pumping water from, from indigenous people's land they don't have a right to do. They've broken these treaties that are 300 years old. Um, and so... This is J.D. Salt, who's a self-employed mother of two. She doesn't have drinking water at home either. Um, she paid several thousand dollars for a house to be connected to a well, and then found the water was undrinkable. It was too polluted. Um, and she's quoted as saying, Nestle, Nestle's taking our water for free, so why don't they dispense it to the people? It's the indigenous resources they're taking. It's unreal what Nestle's doing. It's unreal the way they operate, end quote. So these Canadian treaties are being being broken, are legal. They should be legal and binding, but they're not. So now the legality of these treaties are being questioned again. According to the Canadian Constitution, the federal government has a duty to accommodate and consult First Nations. Okay? Now, more than that, even though there were these two earlier treaties that granted this land and this water to the indigenous peoples, that was taken away. <clears throat> the provinces, the Canadian provinces, took back the ownership of the water in 1930 when they pushed the when they passed the Natural Resources Transfer Act. Now, according to that act, for these prov- Canadian provinces that are like states can sell their water to whoever they want, including companies like Nestle. But then where's the transparency and accountability for province government officials? And according to the Canadian Constitution, they do have to accommodate and consult First Nations. That's nice. But is accommodate and consult sufficient to protect water rights against privateers? Also, what rights did the white Canadian government have to take water ownership from First Nations and transfer it to, Canadian, to the Canadian federal government. Doesn't the 1930 Natural Resources Transfer Act 
find itself in violation of these earlier treaties. I would say it does. So the Six Nations discovered there's some legal ambiguity. Apparently, Nestle's been allowed to move in and extract water on expired permits permits for, again, next to nothing in terms of any fees. So the Six Nations are suing the province. It's before the Superior Court of Ontario. Now, Jennifer Kerr, who's Director of Corporate Affairs for Nestle Waters Canada, wrote an email to The Guardian for this story. (coughs) Jennifer Kerr said, quote, we are working hard on developing our relationships with local First Nations communities and look forward to working together. That's nice. But, Ms. Kerr, developing relationships with First Nations communities does not mitigate the illegal taking of water rights established earlier by those 300-year treaties, period. (coughs) That's what we're dealing with. Every time you buy that bottled water or decide you have to have Perrier, think of the real cost. Okay? Now, the demand for fresh water has grown tremendously. Even Solomon is the author of a book called Water, the Epic Struggle for Wealth, Power, and Civilization. And this is something that he worries about. The UN has predicted massive water shortages worldwide by 2025 in four years. But Nestle keeps bottling what doesn't belong to them. Think about it, for vanity. People buy a bottle of spring water or Perrier for over $2, $3, so they can look and feel affluent. Face it, bottled water outside of the desert is a scam. Why would any reasonable person pay over 2 or $3 for a bottle of the same fluid that should cost pennies from the tap? It's this manufactured need to look fashionable drinking bottled water that has fueled the water deprivation so many poor and indigenous communities of color suffer, and it's something that cannot be allowed to continue. The United Nations again predicts by 2025, 1.8 billion people will live with horrible water shortages. The UN also predicts by 2025 that two-thirds of the world's population will be living under what they call stressed water conditions. And again, this idea going back to turning water into a commodity that you speculate on through the stock exchange is a way of basically squirreling up this precious resource, the last of it. They don't care if the poor, who the Nazis referred to as useless eaters, they don't care the rest of us die from lack of water. They just don't. So Solomon also said that, quote, the higher temperatures predicted with climate change will lead to less water and more thirst. Demand is rising. The curve is rising a lot, and they are trying to tie up supply, they being companies, corporations like Nestle. Okay. Um, And another quote, the fact that Nestle is commercializing these natural resources in a community that doesn't have access to reliable, safe, affordable drinking water is a stunning example 
of the disparities we see around the world in access to safe water. That is very, very true. And that is according, the last quote was attributed to Peter Gleick. He's the co-founder and president emeritus of the Pacific Institute, which is a global water think tank. I want to make sure I attribute properly. Gleick also said, quote, the rich can pay for water and the poor get shortchanged over and over again, end quote. But this time, it's not shortchanging because you can't buy that that $200 pair of tennis shoes. This is about whether or not you live or die. So now we go back to Peter Brabeck, former CEO of Nestle, who once denied that water was a human right in an arrogant documentary in 2005. And he said, quote, one perspective held by various NGOs, that's a non-governmental organization, which I would call extreme, is that water should be declared a human right. The other view is that water is a grocery product. And just as every other product, it should have a market value, end quote. That's Peter Brayback. Once again, this is outrageous. You have white, white corporate interests in Switzerland and in Canada and the U.K., that are basically all virtually practically stealing water from communities of color. They pay virtually nothing. It's all about basically bribing the right public officials. And this is something that cannot be allowed to continue. It just can't. So we only have about nine minutes left. And when I go back to what Brayback said about water, there was a piece in Huffington Post written in 2013, and it was written by George McGraw, who is the founder, was the founder and executive director of digdeep.org. And he made some points about what water should be. Number one, and he was speaking to Mr. Brayback, and I'll quote, Quote, while we're on the subject, it might be helpful to run through a few clarifications regarding one of our most important human rights, both for Mr. Brayback's sake, Brayback's sake and our, for ourselves, end quote. One, the right to water takes precedence. Okay? This is basically saying that every person has the right to safe, accessible, and affordable water, period. And it establishes that relationship between state and the citizens. In other words, this is a public commons. And that the, the government has to respect the right to water, has to protect water access from interference and improve access. To quote it, quote, human rights have priority, meaning that water, all water, is first a human right and second a resource to be used for development in line with our obligation to live sustainably. Number two, the right to water means more than survival. And it's, tri- it's true. The World Health Organization estimate that human beings need between 25 to 50 liters a day of water to just have basic health and hygiene. That's called the basic water requirement. Keep in mind, Mr. Brayback saying, oh, you can have 25, the minimum. Apparently, you can have enough to drink, you just can't bathe. There's more here that stinks, and it's not coming from indigenous people. It's coming from corporate pigs like Brayback. And it's basically saying that the public, it's a public commons and the government has an obligation to protect access to water, period, to all people. Number three, 
The market has both a role and a responsibility. And this is basically saying, yeah, businesses need to respect access to water, and private firms may have a role to play in public water delivery. But they cannot, they cannot pay market rates. The government's job is to make sure that this is something we can all access. And number four, Americans need a new attitude. <clears throat> there was a survey of American water attitudes, and it was taken by a firm called Xylem. And this was in 2012, and they said that 67% of Americans admit they take their water for granted. Most Americans don't really know where it comes from. The fact is, in conclusion, water is a human right, period. And for any corporate entity, such as Nestle, to take advantage of any weak regulation is just plain immoral. The fact that local, state, and national governments in the U.S. and Canada allow European colonializers from Switzerland and elsewhere to practically steal our water. Again, Nestle pays $200 a year to pump out practically billions of gallons of water from Michigan. So technically they pay, it's true, but it's basically theft, just is. And this is just another example how the very rich view the rest of us as workhorses to be used and discarded. (laughs) We are, in essence, useless eaters to them as the Nazis used to say. When we outlive our usefulness, the very rich have no problem letting us die. We see that in every aspect of our existence. The arrogance of the rich is beyond par. And it is a human truism, I believe, that when a group of people, no matter how small, when a group of people has power, believes they are superior to others, That is an open invitation to this kind of abuse. The way that Nestle and other corporations have been abusing and taking water rights away from communities of color is a crime against humanity, period. There is no debate here. And this new year, we will be talking more about this subject. This was kind of an overview. This new year, I want you to know that here at the Environmental Justice Report, we will be looking into every form of environmental injustice, especially environmental racism, wherever it may be, because this has to stop. This world belongs to all of us, and we have to stick together. We just do. We are a brother and sister's keeper. Once again, water is a human right, period. And so that is the Environmental Justice Report this New Year's Eve. I wish everyone a blessed blessed New Year. 2020 was horrible. Here's hoping that 2021, no, I won't say hoping. Here's planning that those of us that are activists will fight to make 2021 
a year of renewal, moral renewal, true morality, where our brother and sister's keeper and we get true justice. Good night, all.